Hello! Hey guys, it's Arden Cho. Hey, I'm Holland Roden. Hello, this is Ian Bowen. Hey you guys, this is Melissa Ponzio. Hi, I'm Lyndon Ashby. Hi, I'm Dylan Sprayberry. This is Megan Tandy. This is Tyler Posey, and you are listening to Not Another. Not Another. Not Another. This is Not Another Team Wolf Podcast. Yes, it is! Oh. Woo! Hey, this is Jeff Davis. You're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast, my favorite podcast in the world. I'm gonna love you with all I've got. Even if it kills me, you're the one that I want. Welcome to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, episode 124. Uh, we're back, despite Karen's threats that after having a <laughs> uh, a perfect number of one, two, three, that we would not record any more <laughs> episodes ever again. Uh, sorry, we're still here. Um, Karen, do you feel disjointed and odd about it? I do a little bit. Like, we've... I don't know. Crossed a line. Yeah, What's next? What's two, three, four? Yeah. Okay. One, one, Let's one, do it. And then you know, like you know, after that, there's no, no. I don't know what's some other good numbers that you could have. One, one three, seven. One, three, five. I guess. One, I don't know. That no. still doesn't sound that great. One, we'll just have to wait until two thirty-four. All right. Well, mark you know, mark the date on your calendars, people. <laughs> anyway, going into this week's episode, it was the Beasts of Beacon Hills, uh, the penultimate episode for season five. Uh, so after next week, you know, there'll be no more Teen Wolf until season six, I guess, which they're currently filming now. So mm-hmm. who knows when that's going to premiere. Like, I don't know if that's going to go ahead in, in June straight away or if it's going to be another year or or whatever. But it is getting prepared now, so, you know, you can expect it sooner rather than later, I suppose. Um, if you want to get in touch with us about this show, you know, this episode, past episodes, future episodes, you know, what, whatever you feel like telling us, you can reach us on our Twitter, which is podcast. Our email address, which is natwpodcast at gmail.com. Our Tumblr, which is notanotherteenwolfpodcast.tumblr.com. Or our Instagram, which is natwpodcast as well. Um, And I actually had an Instagram issue last night because I was trying to switch apps. I was trying to add the podcast one to my app. And my app does not yet have the function to switch accounts. And I don't know Still? why. So if anyone can tell me, and yes, people keep saying, people keep saying, did you update your app? Yes, it's up to date. And I've Googled whether it's only iPhone that gets this or if, because I'm on Android. Um, and, and it's not like it's, it's meant to be on Android as well as instructions for how to do it on Android. But my app doesn't have it unless I'm missing something gigantic. Anyway, I had a photo I wanted to post. It was of our, uh, when they brought up the map about Tuluric Currents, I'm like, I have one of those, and I was going to go and take a photo of my <laughs> map of Beacon Hills for you guys. But I couldn't switch the app. So anyway, 
If anyone's got any help for me there, let me know. Uh, moving on from that swiftly. Uh, favorite quotes of this episode. Mine was actually the Dread Doctor. He was laying down some like home truths in this episode to Theo that I was like well into. But um, yeah, um, just all of his kind of you know whatever dead robot voice of you know stripping Theo to shreds, which was amazing. But we learnt quite a few things from that. You know, we learnt that um, they started with Theo because they thought to bring back someone super evil, they had to start with someone super evil, so they found the most, like, psychopathic kid possible. So I don't know if we're going to get any more explanation of his pre-supernatural psychoticness, but that's why they chose him. Um, but there were several fantastic quotes from from these guys, uh, from that guy. Um, I particularly liked, you have the entitlement and narcissism typical of your generation in that you're a profound success uh, but I also really liked your failure taught us one thing, the banality of evil, that you were and always will be an ordinary evil. And uh, just all of these, like, sick burns they were throwing. And I was just like, wow, this is, like, I'm really liking this. I almost felt a bit sorry for Theo, so, yeah. I didn't. I laughed really hard when he was like, you think I'm ordinary? And I'm like, yes. Yes, they do. Mm. How about you? Oh, mine was a terrible, terrible, terrible line in that um, Styles fell asleep on the couch and Lydia pokes him in the forehead to wake him up, which was really funny. And he kind of jumps awake and he's like, what? What happened? Who's dead? And it's a hilarious line because it's so true. Like, they really do have to worry about that all the time. But it's also like, uh, I hate that it's so commonplace for them that that's like his first thought when he gets woken up. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, they had a few good, Styles and Brayden, their conversation about having the gun was also one of the top moments, I've got to say, that was fantastic. Brayden has got such a good, good presence and good delivery on her lines, yes. and so I really love that bit as well, but. Yeah, she does. Um, I want to jump into the discussion, but before we get to the main discussion, I wanted to talk about a couple of those side plots, because even though they're related to the main plot, they felt a little distant to me. So I think if we tackle them first and then get into the main plot, it might Mm. make it a little bit easier to kind of feel like everything's coherent. So the first one is about Kira, and she... Basically, she leaves Beacon Hills again. She thinks that the sword is critical to saving Mason, and she can find balance later. She's like, I have, you know, yeah. 900 years to find balance. And her father's like, like mm. I'm going to be the crazy fox right now and just go all out and do the stabbing. Yeah, and her father tells her that it takes a certain power to put it back together. And shout out to him being like, whom? <laughs> Correcting her grammar really appreciated that um and she was very confused but anyway she does end up going to the skinwalkers and they say that they'll help but she'll have to pay the price so what are your theories on that i don't know but the sword is obviously the steel from the pike like let's just be that let's say that right now like you know how wait to... really of course yeah of course 
Like Gerard, the way that Gerard and Chris, the fact that he was like it was forged in a very special way, and Gerard and Chris were like it's closer than we think, and they were talking about basically finding that steel and like what if it's a cup somewhere? Their theory is it's been melted down and made into something else, and it's that particular piece of steel that's gonna do whatever it is they wanted to do. It's obviously the sword. My mind is blown right now. I didn't even think about that. Okay, well, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just being like, duh, of course, and it's, like, totally wrong. That would um, be awesome, though. But that's that's my theory for sure. Um, cool. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that was my theory. I don't know what that means for Kira um, or the Argents or, you know, you know having this whoever it is that's going to slay or help the beast or whatever. But the fact that we've got, like, we're fixing a steel item that was forged in a very special way and that they're looking for a steel item that they don't know where or what it is but that it's close by, I think it's the sword. Yeah, I mean, now that you put it that way, (laughs) it makes a lot of sense. My concern with Kira right now is if, if she gets the Skinwalkers to help her, Okay, she's going to do what she needs to do to help stop the beast. And then I think that means she's going to join up with the Skinwalkers. They kind of said that was the price to begin with. You know, if she Mm. failed, then she had to join their ranks for, like, all eternity. Mm. And I'm wondering if she's going to end up becoming a Skinwalker. What that means for her going into Season 6, if that's, like bye bye Kira or you know are we going to see that thread and are we going to see them rescue her from that fate and how exactly if they do rescue her also keep the fox spirit within her at a minimum or at least balanced yeah um I don't know like that that kind of idea of like you fulfill the thing that you want to do but your payment is that you like become one of us is a very common trope in fiction like it is mm-hmm. it definitely has precedent so yeah it, it's possible um i don't know i'm i'm still stuck on the fact that you didn't come up with the sword theory honestly <laughs> i thought it was really obvious but apparently maybe that's just the way my mind goes um but yeah i mean is she gonna if she does do this like you know is she gonna be able to control and the fact that she needs that sword not just like any sword she 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 needs that sword i feel like that sword getting remade is gonna be a big part of the situation but i don't know like will she you know what how she's gonna fight or whether she's gonna be able to control it whether this is like oh freaking Freaking rewatchable. Can we just be done with Buffy? Because I, <laughs> Karen, I, I have a Buffy reference for every single situation in Teen Wolf, and that's been happening since we started Teen Wolf day one. And yeah. I can't do this anymore. I can't, like I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I just can't. Ba- um, basically, at the end when Willow is like thinks she's gonna go evil if she channels into her powers, but then she actually goes good because she's, without knowing it, found balance, you know, at the very end of Buffy. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's going to be like that, like Kira is actually, like, much better now or something, or whether she's going to lose, still, like, lose control and have the fox be all crazy and mean and, and powerful, and but it's sort of the force needed, like, the the amount of firepower needed i guess at the moment Mm -hmm. i mean how cool would it be to see her transform into a skinwalker though i mean would it yes (laughs) 
All right. As long as in the end she's like okay, I but like I would love shy and like you know, and yeah, I don't know. I don't think she'd like it very much. <laughs> well, if it helped her to not be like totally evil. Yeah, I suppose. The other plot is Malia. Basically, her and Brayden are still teamed up, and they're still basically guarding or trapped in the McCall house. Uh, Melissa has been, you know, um, mountain ashing them in to protect from the desert wolf. And it starts off with basically them, Malia telling uh, Styles that uh, Desert Wolf now wants to kill him too. At no point is he like, why? Why does she want to kill me? But basically, um, you know, he, he instantly jumps to, oh, well, this is my life now, I guess. And he's like, I should probably have a gun. And uh, Brayden does not want to give him a gun. He's like, everyone's got a gun. You've got guns. Desert Wolf's got guns. Why can't I have a gun? Uh, so she throws him a gun. She teaches him the best way to learn that you don't want to do something is to actually, <laughs> you know, let you be faced with it, like a nine-year-old who wants to try smoking. And, uh, yeah, basically gives him, you know, throws him the gun. He fumbles it and drops it. And he's like, maybe maybe I shouldn't have a gun, which is probably a good choice. But, yeah, Malia and Brayden stay in the McCall house. And you've put that Brayden's eating peanuts. Karen, please. She was eating pistachio nuts, the most superior nut in history. And wow. Yeah, it's very important. I'm sorry, because I was really excited by this. Um, and, yeah, she was eating pistachio nuts, um, you know, fiddling with the, the shells that you peel off, which end up coming in handy later on um, by... You know, she puts them down on the floor to kind of signify where someone is walking. However, what on earth um, happened with the mountain ash? You've said Tracy lets her in by breaking the mountain ash barrier. I did uh-huh. not catch that and assumed that the mount- that the desert wolf had the power to break it herself. Um, I mean, couldn't she have just stepped over it? That's what uh, Theo did. He didn't break it. He just stepped over it before. I don't know. I I don't know. So do do so Tracy K. Why does Tracy even know the Desert Wolf? Like how? Why? Well, remember Theo had been working with her before. Oh, I suppose I don't know. I mean, this is a big question for me because I feel like Theo is still invested in the Desert Wolf's mission and is trying to twist it to his own gain, and that somehow his story and her story are going to come back together at some point. I don't, I don't know why, but it's, yeah, this was kind of concerning for me that he's sending out his minions to help her. I still think maybe Theo and Malia are like twins or something. I still think that they might be brother and sister. I'm still not (laughs) unsold on that. I mean, there's a lot of sexual tension between them. Not that that means anything, but. That doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Um, Look, I don't know. I, I, I'm. I don't know what Theo's deal with the Desert Wolf is, and and I'm, I'm pretty hung up about about what the deal with the Desert Wolf is in general. To be honest, um, this it's been going on for I guess nearly three seasons. I guess she, he, she, yeah, Malia finds out her, um, past in I guess season four was it that um, you know mm-hmm. Peter tells her you know about or that they find the memories of 
her birth and her parenthood, um, parentage, but yeah, we still don't really know like what the hell was going on at the time when she was born that meant, um, you know, Talia knew that her parents both sucked so badly because this is way before Peter was like bad. If you know what I mean, like, this this is like, you know, ten years or so before the Hale House fire and yes we know that peter was like a manipulative manipulative weirdo his whole life but you know you know she still let her kid run around with him and like be best friends with him so clearly she was doing you know something for peter's protection by getting rid of the desert wolf and taking this child away from them um what the hell happened there like i want to know that story and like that's one of the reasons in the article that I wrote about the flashbacks that a Hale family flashback episode that would be the most important to me because they still have their fingers in every pie in Beacon Hill. Every story in some way has a Hale tie-in, like their overarching presence in one way or another, and I feel like there should be a flashback episode showing their kind of family history that fills in all of these gaps. But anyway, the Desert Wolf. Oh, if she was, if they were twins, would that make Theo a Hale? Theo's not allowed to be in that family. <laughs> Look, I cherish the Hales too much to allow that to be true, so I'm gonna kill that theory for myself. Okay. Um. Anyway, Desert Wolf comes into the house, and they have a big fight. Um, between Brayden and the Desert Wolf have basically a shootout, like a you know a gun gunslinging fight in which miraculously no one gets shot um which is good but Bray she ends up trapping the desert wolf in the house with Malia there why I guess just to trap the desert wolf to begin with I mean that definitely keeps her contained although knowing that Malia's in there is like a little pause because uh, that could be really dangerous. You're putting Just her put right her with where the target. Like, yeah. Why is it still this whole like you know you won't do anything unless it's a full moon and or like you know she fought with her till she knew the desert wolf had no more ammo or something like that. But like, yeah, what, what? Or did she not know Malia was still in the house or what? She knows Malia's in the house. She's she's got to know. I mean. Yeah, there's no reason really for Malia to have left because as soon as she noticed that the line was broken, you know, she hid to find the desert wolf and she found Why him they fought. Why didn't she and... leave as soon as the line was broken? Brayden or Malia? No, Malia. I don't even know if Malia knew because she was she heard the struggle and she came looking. Mm, I suppose. I don't know. So, as of the end of the episode, are they now trapped in their house together? Yes. Cool. That sounds safe. Um, maybe they'll sit down over some tea and work out their differences. One can hope, but it's doubtful. <laughs> I'm sure that Melissa's kitchen has, like, a full range of teas, you know. <laughs> she's probably Calming herbal teas. <laughs> probably got some sugar puppy in there somewhere and, you know, all oh. that. Um, anyway, (laughs) moving on from that. So, do you think that, do you still think that, you know, the, 
the end of this season is going to end in some sort of Desert Wolf-related cliffhanger? I suppose it is. I don't know. I feel like we've jumped ahead pretty far, given that Malia and the Desert Wolf are now in the same space. Mm. But is this I feel the final like... countdown or whatever you want to, you know, final showdown right. or whatever? Yeah, I just, I also feel like there's so much more story to tell, so I wouldn't hate it if the Desert Wolf story kind of carried over a little bit into season six. Yeah, I mean, Brayden, you know, we know that Brayden was hunting her for a long time. We don't really know why. Is it just because she was like a killer or is it just because she was, you know, what was the situation there? Because we know that Brayden was, you know, chasing the Desert Wolf before she was a mercenary and then kind of became a mercenary I guess um after she sort of gave up on all of that but like what was her original beef with the desert wolf as well I think it was just her job to to do that I mean the desert when wolf is a, a criminal you know when she was what whatever it was a county sheriff you the know, marshal uh, yeah, thing. Court, yeah yeah uh, whatever that is I, I don't really know the different military or, or police types but yeah whatever she was meant to be like you know that you know, official, in, in official capacity. Was she chasing her in kind of an above the law, not above the law, like a on, you know, on the books capacity with the Desert Wolf as just a criminal, as in who is, you know, a gun-toting scary woman, or was she ch- chasing her in like a supernatural capacity? I assumed it was within the law as mm. a criminal type of thing. Yeah, so what does the Desert Wolf do with her time when she's not around shooting Malia, if you know what I mean? Like, what other antics does she get up to to have the, you know, the law on her tail? I mean, she's definitely murdered a bunch of people in the past. We've seen evidence of that, mm. but I don't know. Maybe she's a criminal mastermind and she's got a whole network mm. going. Uh, I want to move on to the main plot now and talk about the craziness that went down and the repercussions of what we learned. So first of all, Corey takes Mason down into the tunnels uh, to mask his scent so that Scott can't find them. My question is, what's Corey's reasoning for doing this? Does he really think that Scott would hurt Mason? I don't know. It's pretty, yeah, he's definitely doing it to protect Mason because he's like, you know, I know it's you, but I love you, so I'm going to keep you safe. We'll we'll get through this, if you know what I mean. I don't know. He doesn't really have any reason to trust Scott still. Like, there's really been no implications so far that Corey trusts Scott or knows anything about him. So possibly, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, considering I'm sure Theo's been spinning some lies too, so he's probably very unsure. But Mason, um, he has some missing memories. You know, whenever the Beast was out and about, he can't exactly remember where he was or what he was doing. And I was just wondering, like, at at this point, were you like, yes, it's definitely him, or were you still like, "Mm, there could be a twist coming? It was sort of more when Corey said that he kind of, basically saw it happen or felt it happen if you know what I mean that that was I was just like okay if 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 another character is giving us like kind of eyewitness evidence then it's probably true um yeah but yeah I don't know I I kind of liked the way they did it like now that it's happened I'm kind of accepting it I it's not that I object to it being Mason and I kind of like that they have this whole like corruption thing going on 
Mm-hmm. But it's not that I object to it being Mason. It's that no, because he's Mason. I objected to it being Mason because it was the only... It seemed too logical. Like, yeah, he's the only main character. That's not it, if you know what I mean. Like, they weren't raising suspicion for anyone else. They weren't particularly raising suspicion for Mason either. But they weren't being like, maybe it's Scott, maybe it's Lydia. You know, it's not Lydia. But, like, they weren't raising suspicion enough about the different people it could have been, basically, in my opinion. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on kind of coming around to the Mason thing too, which we'll get to at the end. At this point in the episode, I was still really on the fence. I mean, I kind of convinced myself within the last week that it had to be Mason because they were doing so much coverage and interviews with Kylan Rambo that I was like, I don't know. I feel like this is just too much if it really isn't him. So I kind of convinced myself it was Mason, but the whole like, idea that he didn't realize that he was a Jenna Chimera and there were a couple other things that were kind of said in in passing like Theo not seeing Mason when he put on the mask I was like okay maybe there is another twist coming and it really wasn't until we find out that he is a genetic Chimera that I was like okay it's definitely him but I I was really holding out hope but you know yeah, that's all right. Um, the Dread Doctors show up at this point, knock out Corey, and take Mason away. And as always, I would just like to say that, you know, the sounds the Dread Doctors make are like one of the creepiest things in this entire series, and I hate it so much. Yes, I'm sorry about that. Um, they are, they they have a certain unique quality to them, don't they? Mm-hmm. Basically, we get the history of the Dread Doctor masks, which doesn't make that much sense to me, honestly, um, which we'll get to in a second. But we, it starts because the evil pack, the zombie pack, are standing around um, being like, hey, Josh, put on the mask. And apparently they think that he can put it on because he has electrical powers and that they're, you know, based in electromagnetism, so it will be, like, less damaging to him than to someone else, but he refuses, basically. Theo's like, I'm not scared to do it. I'm just not stupid. And Josh is also <laughs> not stupid, because he's like, no, I'm not doing yeah. that. And basically, I, I I assume that they want to be showing um, a vision. Like, you know, they want to be getting the vision or the frequency of being able to see who the beast is. Do we know if Lydia actually achieved that when they put the... Did they end up... Did he end up ever putting the mask on Lydia or not quite? No, it was never on her. Okay, and has anyone else worn the mask at all? It killed the nurse. Yeah, but Malia had the weird goggles that were, you know, part of the mask. Right. Hmm. Um, so basically... Ducalion sits in the corner telling them the history of it, which, gotta love that, but how does he know? (laughs) Have we had explained at all why Ducalion knows about the Dread Doctors? Was he around last time they were there? You know, the way that Valak, 
this is what I want. I want more backstory on that stupid book. I want backstory on like what happened. Again, Hales. Why won't you give me a Hale episode that shows how the current good benevolent alpha of Talia Hale dealt with all these issues coming through Beacon Hills, this town she lived in and protected for like, you know, 30 years or whatever. And so... What happened last time the Dread Doctors came? Ducale, was Ducalian involved? Was it when he used to be like a pacifist and he was fighting against them? Um, what happened with Valak the last time they came? Like, did he... he last I heard, Valak created the Dread Doctors, but apparently not. Like, what? What? Like, what, how does this history that we learn of, like, how ancient it is, like... That, you know, this, this, the main one, the surgeon, created the masks and he went to the furthest edges of pseudoscience and harnessed these electromagnetic fields, infused them with these power. Is the surgeon Valak? Like, or is the surgeon one of the Dread Doctors? Like, how does Valak's story tie into this story? The surgeon is one of the Dread Doctors. Yeah. As far as... Valak's connection, we were kind of making assumptions a couple episodes ago. I don't think we have anything solid in terms of Deucalion. I guess I didn't question his knowledge because he's been around for a while. Yeah, he's done still, some things. It seemed very no, 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 no. I know, but he's been around for a while and he's done some things that not like your average werewolf would definitely know. That being said, I do think that perhaps he was around back then because of everything you just said. I mean, he was in Beacon Hills potentially during that time. I I think he would be aware of this history. Like, he just seems like the kind of person that would want to know his enemies and the history of the town and the things that happened. So I guess I didn't really <sighs> question it too much, but I still would like... Like you were saying, I some hell like, backstory. <laughs> it felt like that they were putting a story Valak should have been telling into the mouths of Deucalion because they blew Valak's head off, if you know what I mean. Mm. And yeah, so that I, makes sense. All I want to know, I'll buy it. I'll totally buy it. I just want to know why he knows. So rather than just he knows everything because he's been around. Like, that's not, not clear enough for me. And, yeah, I want to know basically how, um, yeah, the fact that we got this whole thing of, like, you know, we don't want it to happen, what happened, like, when they came before, and, you know, Valak being freaked out about it, or whatever, um, I, I cannot believe we didn't get anything about what happened before, if you know what I mean. That he, yeah, they've clearly been doing experiments through all of time, or whatever, however long yeah. they've been going for, um, and they, they hammered home such a precedent of of this, you know, this time that they came, however many years ago, that gave Valak the experience to write that book. I don't know. I'm, I want to know We're, about it. Yeah, so do I. And, I mean, we still haven't seen what's under the Dread Doctor's masks. Like, what it's their faces look like. people, don't worry. Well, yes, but we're supposed to still be getting that, so maybe it'll happen in the finale, and maybe that will give us a little more insight into, like, what they've been up to mm. in the past. I don't know. There's still a lot of questions. We'll put it that way. Mm. Um, <clears throat> jumping over to Parish Lydia and 
Sheriff Selinsky. Parrish is still, you know, he wants to get out of town and the sheriff stops him from leaving and Lydia shows up and she tries to convince him to stay and it does end up working. But I really liked this scene. I think Holland's been doing a really good job in the last couple of episodes. I don't know what it is, but her she seems so much older and more experienced now she's got this like world weariness about her and she's really convinced that Parrish is part of the solution I mean I think we all are that's not really coming to question they've told us that a ton of a bunch of times but he's like you know no I'm causing all of this which is illogical to me true why does he think that I don't know. I, he it just must be a pile of bodies. Like yeah, it just must be like the a guilt thing. But she and the sheriff are like, what if all those people die because you leave? And mm. he, you know, decides to stay because of that. But it was kind of a small scene, and we don't get too much of Lydia this time. But what we did get, I just, I don't know. I really liked it. Yeah, um, she definitely seems very old and tired, if still in quite a, you know, beautiful way and stuff like that. Um, so that's quite sad, but yeah, I don't, I didn't really understand why he thought that he would be the, um, the cause of it. He clearly didn't really understand that much about what he is, I suppose. Yeah, and he could just be scared, you know, that could just be his first instinct is to to do that yeah anyway I'm not sure um, so Scott wakes up and he is healed basically he goes to bed and then he, he wake, um, wakes up oh apparently he was meant to have a scholarship to college and he missed the deadline how sad I, um, I loved that little detail though so like... you know it just shows that he, he still has ambition I guess outside of being a werewolf um, and yeah. also that he does actually plan to leave. Like we haven't, we've asked the questions. Like, does he have? Does he feel a responsibility to like stick around and like be the guardian of this town or whatever? You know, goes down in Beacon Hills. Apparently, no. Apparently, he does not. Unless the scholarship well, is local, you know, we never. Know. That's what I was gonna say. Like, it could still he could still be wanting to go to college nearby. Mm. Um, yeah, but we've been wondering about that, and apparently that's, you know, a little bit of hint of what's coming. Um, but anyway, he goes to sleep, Kira puts him to bed, he goes to sleep, and he wakes up all better, um, you know, healed, his healing powers are back to normal, apparently, because he has a pack. Um, and again, I was reading, um, back over some old stuff from when I was doing the flashbacks, um, about the visionary episode about, you know, Ennis and the way that he reacted to his pack um, member being killed and the way that Cora described it to Styles um, about losing a pack member. We don't know how much that that counts for, you know, just the, them deserting you. But, yeah, I'll, you know, I'd, I would like some more kind of visceral um, evidence of, you know, whether the pack bonds are, you know, whether... Scott's pack counts in the same way that a werewolf pack counts in terms of the um, the power levels, if you know what I mean, like all the all the emotional levels of you know losing a pack member worse than losing one of your family. You know, having a pack makes you act literally physically stronger, not just like as a metaphor. 
Um, but I want to know whether that counts, you know, if it's, if it's just werewolves that you've bitten or werewolves that are born into your same family or if it counts just, you know, I... in theory by having any, you know, these people that have decided your, pa- your pack. Where does the science come in is always what I want to know with the werewolf powers. Yeah, of course. I absolutely think it it counts, though. I mean, that kind of was proven in the episodes leading up to... Lydia getting out of Iken is that Scott was weak the entire time and he wasn't healing and his powers were kind of off. But then once everyone got back into place and he says specifically in that um, episode, was it last week or the week before um, with the lacrosse game the week before the week before, I don't even remember. Anyway, um, he says, once we got Lydia back, and she was the final piece, he completely healed. So I absolutely think it counts. I don't know. I feel like maybe he's romanticizing it a bit, like that it's more of a mental block in the same way that he had the mental block about healing when he thought he had Derek killed. Like, I don't know if this is the same as what we've seen with the the other packs, um, experiences. I mean, it certainly seems true for Scott because it did seem to affect his healing and stuff, but we've seen Scott have a mental block because of his own emotions, and I don't know whether that is meant to be the same situation for all of the packs, Um, you know, if this is an example of what happens to all of them, or if his example is more unique, basically. Anyway. Yeah, that's He's healed. Yay, he came back, and everyone's like, oh, Scott, you're alive. Um, So they're um, hanging out around the, the table trying to come up with a plan, and basically, they're trying to find Mason. They they are, you know, having people search for Mason. You know, Corey and you know whatever Hayden's at the school and um oh no not Corey I'll get to Corey in a second that they've been searching. You know, Hayden is is searching in one place and Liam's been searching in one place and you know Malia's going to check the woods and all of that. Um and then Scott's basically like, why don't we just ask Corey and punches him in the face where he is right behind <laughs> him. Because he knew that Corey was right there in the room, like, invisible, basically spying on them. Um, because Corey clearly has no freaking idea what to do. Um, I did love the moment of him grabbing Corey, basically. It was a bit, a bit violent, yeah. but also, yeah, good. Yeah, it just, I don't know, it was one of those things that, like... I was feeling kind of, you know, emotional and inspired because the whole pack was around the table. And I really like those moments where they're all there together because so much of this episode and other episodes, everyone's kind of paired off and they have their own mission. In the end, they, you know, they may come together, but someone's always kind of not there. And Mm -hmm. in this case, the whole pack was there and they were all coming up with plans and it wasn't this internal struggle between them. Like, no, we should do this. No, we should do that. It's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to do. Okay, break, let's go. And then, you know, so I was feeling awesome about that. And then Scott is just, he's really coming into this alpha role and he's really doing the best he can. And he just, he just sensed that Corey was there. Nobody else did, but he did and grabbed him. And, and yeah, it was a little like, okay, you know, chump, let's talk. But he listened to Corey and, and I think that was really good that he decided to trust him. Yeah. Hopefully he's, he manages to stick around with them. Um, that is if he doesn't die. Um, so yes. we'll see. <laughs> Um, but 
Josh will not be sticking around with them because Josh is dead. So that's good. Is it good? Yeah. Probably not good. I mean, I'm not super happy about it, but I guess to to backtrack a little bit, (laughs) we do learn that Deucalion is a faker, um, which I really liked that. I I really liked. Have any clue what was going on with that IV thing that they had him put? There was Wolfsbane in the tank. Okay, and it was just going through his blood system. Yeah, so keeping him weak, basically. But it was um, probably right. But he somehow, I don't know if maybe he just is used to it. Like he's prepped himself for this kind of thing before to make himself stronger or what. But um, yeah, it wasn't working. And I just love how he uses every little moment to get on Theo's nerves. Yeah, it's really satisfying. But he he pulls it out and um, he teaches Theo a lesson, I guess, in that he breaks his arm and he says, you take their pain, you take their life, you take their power. It has to be um, done in that order. This was real. I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if I I don't know about that order thing being true, but I found it very similar what he was describing to what happened with. Um, Cora and Derek, that Derek, you know, she was sick, she was, whatever, dying, he took her pain to the point that it drew his own, like, he used up his alpha power on her, if you know what I mean, like, he Mm -hmm. basically drained, she drained him of her, of his power, and of, in the way that these guys are taking the power of someone else. It reminded me of that a bit, and I don't know if yeah. it's the same exactly, because, you know, she was the one getting uh, getting healed, but yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of that, too. I wonder if it's a little different just because it's more of a voluntary thing, mm. um, but I really think that this is interesting that Deucalion is, first of all, teaching him this. I mean, I assume his motivations are, in the end, you know, he just wants Scott's eyes or his power or well, to kill you, him. Have you seen Heroes? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's basically in Heroes, there's a character that, that they're all kind of, think like X-Men, think like weird, they all have weird mutations, like they can do mm-hmm. stuff. And there's one of them who can basically absorb the powers of all of the others by... Well, the theory was eating their brains. Apparently he didn't actually eat their brains, but he definitely, like, cut people's heads open. And so he basically had a whole arsenal of different powers that he'd collected from other people. So what if Deucalion is trying to get Theo to do that? Like, get all the power from different people, and then he will do it from Theo instead of doing Mm. it from, like, five different people, and then he'll have all of the powers that Theo has collected. Make Theo do all the legwork. Yeah. That would be really interesting, actually. Yeah. Um, I also liked the bit of insight onto why Tracy is such a cold bitch. Uh, and the yeah. answer is because of, like, he was like, I bet you were really weak before, and basically that people are powerless and, and uh, you know, for whatever reason that they're really um, held back by whatever they were before. Um, abuse power when they have it, 
exactly the same as Erica. Um, not exactly the same, obviously, because Erica wasn't this terrible, but also Willow. Like, again, another example. It's common, especially for women, it's a common trope to that women who are very, very held back or very weakened or very insecure are the ones that go really crazy and horrible when they're given power. That is mm-hmm. a very common theme. So I'm actually yeah, surprised I... we didn't think about that before. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was saying. You know, you bring up all those examples, especially considering Erica because she was in the show, and it had never occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. Still, I'm glad that they, like, pointed this out because it had been really bothering me. Like, I really couldn't see Mm. the jump there, but now it, it kind of all makes sense, and I get why Theo kind of keeps her closer than the other ones. I mean, obviously, yes, he just killed... Um, Josh and Hayden is gone. Corey's yeah, really on the fence. Trust is getting very small. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Um, but she's so willing to do anything that he tells her, and I think he also sees her relish in that power much in the same way mm-hmm. that he does, and so they find this common ground. But yeah, I was really happy that they addressed this. Mm, yeah. So yeah, they take the life, take the pain, um, take their life, take their power. So basically that whole, yeah, that whole thing in doing the act of the, of the taking pain, apparently you can keep doing that until they die and then suck their power out of them. But how does that work? How do you get their power once they're already dead? Like, I don't know. I don't know if J.K. Lynn's telling him the whole truth. Like, <laughs> you know. But... Anyway, the point is, he does it to Josh, and apparently he can now put on the mask, or maybe he could before, and he just did this. Maybe it's a whole trick, maybe Theo could have always put on the mask, and that um, he just made him kill Josh to make him think that he had this trick up his arsenal that isn't actually going to work when they get get down to business. Um, We'll see. Anyway, he puts on the mask, and apparently he can see... I guess he sees... The beast, like he sees, they keep saying, you know, I throughout the rest of the episode, um, he keeps, they keep being like, what did you see? He's like, I saw someone. It's not Mason, but we'll get to that in in a moment, basically. So Lydia takes Parrish back to the Nematon, basically to convince, sorry, to convince him to, you know, channel his power or whatever. And he sees a vision of her with her throat slashed, and next week she's going to be in hospital with a bandage over her neck, you think that it looks like maybe Sebastian did it to her. Um, why do you think that? Well, there was just a quick flash in the promo of him going up to her uh-huh. and, like, getting ready to strike. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can maybe see a little parallel between him slashing her and him also as the beast back in France slashing Marie-Jean and potentially there being a parallel between Lydia being able to save them um, just like Marie-Jean was able to. But I don't know if this is significant in that, okay, her blood is infused with something that can now kill him. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but it was an interesting parallel. Can I just talk for a second, by the way, and I wish I'd known this last week. I wish I'd found this out last week. And I, I wish I'd found this out years ago because we could have been theorizing before now. Because we, I have looked up the Beast of Jevedan myth before. 
Marie-Jean Vallée was real. Just, like, not just... The Beast of Gévaudan is a real legend, but the, the actual person, Marie-Jean Vallée, was real. That they've just made her into, you know, they've made her into the first Argent, but she really was a young girl in, you know, her town in France who apparently faced off against this wolf or something that had been attacking her town and and she managed to injure it um and whether or not this is a legend or whether or not this is true there is like a sworn testimony about it and there's like a statue in if you go to France to the town like there is a statue of Marie-Jean Vallée slaying the Beast of Gévaudan so that's a thing that I really wish I'd known before last week. I knew the beast was a real legend. I did not know that the girl was also real. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know how you know much we're going to tie into her again, if it's just going to be sort of Sebastian or if she's going to be resurrected in any way. Uh, but I really, really liked discovering that. Um, but the Nematon lights up, which is not something we've necessarily seen it do before, is it? No, I don't think so. I don't know what that means. I yeah, my initial reaction was that it's going to further kickstart the Nematon's like power and maybe we'll actually get a full tree again instead of just the stump, oh, but I don't oh, know if really? that would be good or bad and what that would necessarily mean for Beacon Hills. Is the Nematon in and of itself good? I think it's neutral. Mm. It just is what it is. It doesn't really recognize good and bad. Yeah. Probably. It's a tree, so maybe not. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Good point. Okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that that will come next week. This seemed like more the start of a story that's not really finished yet rather than real information, so I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Um... Okay, so jumping back to Theo and Scott and them, they team up. They're trying to track down the Dread Doctors, and Theo explains to him that the guy in the tank that we've been sort of seeing in the background all this time, but and we've had some theories about it, but haven't really been paying close attention, he believes that he was a German soldier, a Nazi from World War II, but he was also an alpha werewolf, and this is how the Dread Doctors have been keeping themselves alive for decades or longer, Theo says. And this, I guess this thing is like, okay, so we still don't know how old they are. Well, if they only put him in the tank in World War Two, did they have another one before then that they used, and then they used it all up or something like that? Like, have they kept putting alphas... Do you think they want to put Scott in the tank and use his true alpha powers, for, you know, forever? Mm. So is the juice of Tank Boy what brought the Chimeras back to life? Yes. The green stuff? Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Um, but, yeah, um, so he is basically presumably not alive. Like, is he alive? No. I... I don't... This well. is very S.H.I.E.L.D. This is very, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. When they had those, you know, you know the... the Whatever they were, the blue guys. And, you know, they found out the... the You know, the healing... 
mm-hmm. stuff, and then they found the body. You know, in season one of Shield, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that thing in any way alive, or is it just like his goo is? I'm gonna go with. Uh, see, this is weird. Okay, because my initial reaction was no, he's not alive. He's just but preserved. What, what would he do if he's dead? Like... If he's been around for decades, then he must be able to keep producing those powers. So therefore, he must be alive somehow. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's, yes. That's really unpleasant. So, yeah. No yeah. Thanks. And they see in this scene that the tank has been moved because this is how the Dread Doctors obviously keep themselves alive. But the tank also has to be kept on a telluric current. And so if they can find the current where um, the tank is being held, then obviously they'll be able to track down the Dread Doctors. So Theo and Scott and Liam and Tracy all team up and go on their merry way yeah they go and try and find this thing um so in the forest scott and theo are having a heart to heart about um killing basically um and who who was it they oh ducalian you know theo's scott's basically like screw you for doing this with ducalian and theo's like well screw you for not killing him when you had the chance and Scott says, you know, I'm not a murderer because, you know, I guess killing Deucalion in cold blood would have been a bit harsher than killing someone in battle, um, you know, from certain perspectives at least. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, um, I still don't really know why Deucalion had this change of heart, like why he, like he went totally crazy because of Gerard and, and stabbing his eyes out and getting betrayed. Uh, but then Scott helped him and let him go, and I don't understand why he now hates Scott so badly, unless he's double-bluffing Theo and he doesn't actually hate Scott, and then he, at the end he's going to be like, Scott, my good buddy, if you know what I mean, thank you for giving me a chance, and he's going to, like, I don't know, mm. turn against him, uh, turn against Theo. I think... Somehow I don't think so, though. It just doesn't make I don't... sense to me why he's so vengeful or why his sight has gone again. I don't think that's going to happen either. The explanation (laughs) that we've gotten previously is that the powers of the Dark Druid went away and therefore he was blinded once again and that angered Deucalion and now he wants to come after Scott for revenge. Whether he thinks that Scott did it on purpose or not, I don't know. But, I mean, I don't think Deucalion is exactly stable, Mm. so this makes some kind of sense to me. Yeah, and how about the fact that Theo says, you know, you think you're going to get out of this without killing anyone, and Scott says, I didn't say that. So Scott thinks, still thinks he's probably going to kill people in fights, but apparently he feels differently about killing threats uh, when it's not literally in self-defense in the heat of the moment. Um, which is I definitely don't think Scott... a perspective. I don't think Scott is ever going to be okay with this or he's like, yeah, you know, some people just have to die. I think it's more like as the action keeps ramping up, he's finding it harder and harder to believe that he can actually get away without that blemish um, on his character. And I, I just I don't I still don't really see it happening. I think that would be a huge deal for Scott and they would have to spend like a season of him coming to terms with that because that's just the kind of person that Scott is, you know, styles, I think 
he can accept it a little bit easier, and he did. It still bothers him. I'm not saying that, but um, he kind of knows the sacrifices that have to be made, whereas I feel like Scott would be much harder to kind of come to terms with that. So I don't really see it happening, but I do think it's really interesting that he made that comment. Yeah. Um, and they find Mason in the cabin um, with the um, tank guy basically giving him an IV into his neck. And can I just say the Dread Doctors are literally hopped up on Alpha Juice, Karen. <laughs> Throwback. Nazi Alpha Juice. <laughs> Throwback. They're literally hopped up on Alpha Juice. And Alpha Juice is real after all this time. I can't believe. Yes. Um, they've clearly we need got to the idea trademark that, yeah, <laughs> and put it on a can, oh. and we should just sell Alpha Juice. Ew, ew. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Mason is there with that gross thing plugged into him, pumping him full of their special sauce, I suppose. Yeah, and um, we can't deny it any further. Mason is definitely the beast. And this is a possibility because he um, he absorbed his twin in utero, so yeah. he is a genetic chimera. Yeah, which I talked about like a week ago, yes. or two weeks ago. I was like, how else can you be a genetic chimera? Genetic chimera, and we were like, well, this. And you were talking about identical twins having the same DNA. But I've since researched it, and apparently it doesn't happen that often with identical twins. It usually happens with fraternal twins. Um, it's something mm-hmm. about, like, the conflicting DNA. Like, that they, that they don't... Like, it's almost like an autoimmune, or, like, they don't really, like... One doesn't... You know, I don't know. So, something something about the, um, uh, yeah, conflicting DNA. Um, and so it usually happens with fraternal twins, not identical, which is would make it two sets of DNA. Um, and I totally right. caught, well, I didn't call it, but I was like, I theorized it, but it's real gross. I just expected that they, they'd check that as well. Like that they'd check for stuff, stuff like that as well. Well, I'm wondering not. if they didn't go back that far. Like they were looking at, you know, recent like surgeries and things like that. And if Mason was like, had no idea, then, mm. You know, they didn't even think to look at him. But what I... Okay, so, no, I'm not super stoked that it's Mason. We kind of touched on this before. I had really hoped it would have been somebody else, that there would have been a further twist to it. That said, I love the way that they're going about this. Because the Dread Doctors say that Theo taught them that true evil can only come from corrupting something truly good. Which is amazing because the one thing that we've all been saying is, oh, Mason is so good. We don't want him to be the beast because he's so pure. And that's why he is the beast because they're corrupting his goodness with something else and making him this terrible, terrible evil. Mm. And it's it takes it out of his hands in a way that like – and I don't know if this necessarily applied to Sebastian Valet too, but – like if he used to be very very right good before and he, he was corrupted very, very bad. Yeah. yeah which we were really asking about last week but um i just like that this just because mason is the beast doesn't mean that he's inherently evil or something in fact it means that he's inherently good and that just it makes me really happy yeah 
Yeah, no, I did as well. Like, I appreciate what... I can roll with it from here on out. It's just I thought that, like, if you were going to tick off boxes of the main cast of who could it be... The fact that they didn't lay red herrings about anything else, if you know what I mean. They didn't really particularly lay red herrings about could it be this person or this person or this person. They just let it roll. If we were talking about main cast currently in the show, Mason is the only logical person it could have been. And they didn't really lay any red herrings that it could have been any of the other current cast. Um, and we were theorizing about like people from the past or something like that, and they didn't really lay any red herrings about that either. So may- maybe I maybe there were and I missed them, but I feel like if you were literally just going off ticking boxes on the current cast, who could it plausibly be? It was obvious that Mason was the the last one on the, you know the list. Um, therefore, it felt a bit too simple. Therefore, less of a twist. But once now it's done, I can roll with it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think there's a pretty good twist, you know, after him becoming the Beast. Because we do see him transform, and that was, you know, <laughs> that's not my name. Um, I just, I couldn't stop singing it. I'm so sorry. But he transforms, and um, first of all, Mason. Kylan Rambo. That's not yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, you wanted me to sing, and now I've sung. I did, I did. Um, but I thought he did a really good job. You know, Mason, who is so good and so pure and so childlike in a lot of different ways, he was really scary as he was transforming mm. into the beast, and I was really scared for him when they were trying to pull the thing out of his, the back of his neck. It was, it was really gross, but... He transforms, he kills two Dread Doctors, and Paris shows up. And they fight for a little bit, and then the Beast, uh, for one reason or another, maybe just beaten until that moment, like, untransforms or transforms back into a person, but he doesn't transform back into Mason, he transforms back into Sebastian. With much better hair, may I add. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. I didn't, like, think about that. It was a good... Yeah, he has a nice modern haircut nowadays, so Mm -hmm. that's good. I was really uh, happy to see him back. (laughs) Even at the expense of him absorbing Mason. No, but I just, I thought he did a really good job in the flashback, and it was nice that he was there. But no, I'm I'm worried about Mason, but also kind of not for reasons that we shall talk about. Okay. Let's, why are you, what, what are the reasons? Or is well. In the, it's another section. Yeah, next section. It okay. kind of segues right into it. Yeah. Um, so the Argent bros, or, you know, Argent father and son. Yeah, um, let's not call them bros. <laughs> I don't mean bros like, you know, brothers. I mean bros like bros, but I don't think Chris thinks Gerard is his bro. Um, yeah, that's why I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Chris, you know, is like, there's gonna be a way to save Mason, and Gerard is like, no, he's a lost cause, because Gerard, you know, don't, doesn't really care, and he just finds it easier to kill things. Do you think Gerard would actually put an effort into saving a human being? at all like in this day and age you know or is he you know what 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 the hell are his motivations i still have no idea i think he just wants to stop the beast i mean he wants to stop the beast and bring honor back to the argent name if that means killing the beast once and for all yeah i think he's totally gonna do it even if that means mason dies Mm. Gerard, you're gross um 
And anyway, so he thinks he's a lost cause and that they have to find the pike. Basically, they're searching, I don't know, it kind of looked like the hail vault. I don't know where they were searching, but they were like looking. They were in the library. Oh, it was the library. I don't know, it was very darkly lit. Um, the pike. They've got to find the pike. I've already told you my theory on this. Before yes. I blew your mind, what were you thinking? Oh, I had no idea. Um, yeah, not not a clue at all. But I thought it was really interesting that Chris is like, we need to tell Scott the rest. We need what to tell the him rest? that there's... Right, exactly. And why didn't you tell that to Lydia to begin with? Like, maybe you should lead with, by the way, we think we can save your friend. Yeah. Maybe they didn't know until then. I don't know. But uh, look, I, so I, the pike, the, the pike are useless can, sometimes. <laughs> the pike can kill the beast, but apparently can also save it, save the person. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, but um, that gives us some hope at least. Yeah. So they're looking for a steel object that used to be the pike, and apparently Gerard's, you know. Spidey sense is tingling about it. So, <laughs> again, I, as I said, the sword is my main theory, especially because we don't know the special way in which it was forged. We just know it was forged in a special way. So, how that would pass from the Argents to the Yukimuras, I have no idea. Um, this, whatever this piece of steel was, um, if it's just fate or coincidence or what, or maybe I'm totally wrong and it's not the sword. Uh, but who knows? Um, it would make, you know, pretty pretty convenient sense given that she couldn't just use any old sword. She has to use this one. Yeah, I I now want this to be what happens because I think that's an excellent theory. Cool. So going into feedback, um, our our good friend Mai has said, "I'm just I'm going to riot if Mason doesn't make it out of this. Save the cinnamon roll, save the world, which is a hero's reference, FYI, as well. So, oh. Yeah, save the cheerleader, save the world was uh, the, the hero's tagline for some <laughs> reason. So I already gave you a hero's shout out, Mai, and I did not know this this comment was coming, so there you go. But yeah, I think that Ducalion might be planning to like, yeah, collect collect all the powers into Theo and then take out Theo and get, you know, five for the price of one, um, in a very <laughs> very Silar esque fashion for those heroes out there heroes fans out there. So yeah, um I mean I think that I, I feel like that Mason is not gonna die. It would really not be that and it would be like the most innocent I mean maybe he will maybe it'll be like this terrible you know tragic waste of like this most innocent helpful like the worst person that could possibly die or be affected by this you know like the worst victim of circumstance the show could possibly have and then they'll he will die so I don't know I'm gonna go with not that <laughs> let's just it would just it would send not a strong message but yeah it would be so sad. It would be so, so sad. Um, okay, next piece of feedback is from Nurse Brack, who says, Okay, but fetal absorption doesn't happen by one twin, twin literally eating the other. It's really important to me that people know that. Yeah, it's not like it opens at mouth. It's mouth yeah. goes nom, nom, nom. Apparently, Mother yeah. Fitness <laughs> needed to make it very clear to, um, styles, to styles what her happened. Yeah. No, it's more That's... like the body or the placenta. I don't know exactly the facts, but I could look it up and gross you out, but I really don't want to. I, yeah, did, I did read not. about it. It's more like, <laughs> yeah, the, the 
the growing fetus or the placenta of the fetus sort of absorbs the other one. It's yeah. not eating, so, like, um, nom, yeah. nom, nom, eating. Right? <laughs> yeah. I think Melissa just needed to get that visual across so that Styles understood, but yes. I did like in that bit that Lydia no, yeah. was, like, totally on board, like, oh, yeah, like, that. that's what happened, because, of course, she's read every <laughs> science book in the whole school, so she knows, yeah. it's knows great. that. Um, Key Smash Blog has said, I still want to know how Parrish's pants don't burn off when he, when he hounds out. And we replied saying, this is the ultimate Teen Wolf mystery. And someone else, Thylocyanine, says he shops at the Marvel store, question mark, uh, because obviously Hulk has the same same (laughs) issue. Though I feel like that Bruce Banner, I can't remember, does he turn naked when he goes back to being Bruce after being Hulk? He does, well, he did that one time. In the comics, he doesn't. In long running, he doesn't. And, um... Yeah, this is apparently a pretty common, like, thing for Transformers, like, um, you know, transforming creatures, that apparently they get to keep their pants when they change back. I don't know why. Um, I think that Parrish just has fire-resistant undies. Okay. Um, That's possible. Like, he sprayed them down with those fire, like, that fire-resistant spray or or whatever, Mm -hmm. or... He got them yep. made by the fire. He got. He went to the firefighter department, and you know, the, <laughs> like the yeah, the fire brigade, and was like, "Hey, can I have some of your old suits?" And he sewed himself a little pair of hellhound <laughs> pants. <laughs> what? I just. I can actually see him like sitting there. So, God, you know, I'm the hellhound now, and I just I need some fireproof boxers, please. <laughs> Poor guy. All right. Well, that is everything that we have for you for this week. So next week is the finale. Yes. Quite a big deal, I suppose. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? (laughs) The show comes and goes so fast. It's so weird. Um, Yeah. But yeah, next week is episode 20, which is called Apotheosis. Uh, the, The tagline is loyalties are tested and new alliances forged as Scott and his friends work to stop the beast before Beacon Hills is razed to the ground. So, new alliances being forged. What do you reckon about that? Theo and Scott? I mean, I know they were kind of allied Uh, this episode. I think Deucalion and Scott. Mm. I prefer I mean, I still think Deucalion... Yeah, I still think Deucalion hates him, but... Mm. Hmm. I would prefer it to be. I mean, I was going to say maybe Tracy, but I honestly can't see her coming around, and I don't really want her, her either. She's a bel- no. she's a bellatrix crazy, and I don't want her. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm trying to think who the new alliances could be. Um, yeah, I'm hoping Scott and Desert Jessica Wolf um, and Malia. Oh, maybe maybe they'll work out the differences over a cup of you know sugar puppy in Melissa's kitchen. <laughs> Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe someone will come thundering back into town that we take us out of left field, you know? That would be nice. Yeah, like Derek or Isaac. Um. Yeah. (laughs) Please. Never let it go. (laughs) Never. Um, All right. I think that that's everything for this week, then. Um. Maybe... What if what if the alliance is Marie Jean and Scott? 
Yeah, that could work if she gets uh-huh. reincarnated. Cool. I'm into that as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll have to see, I guess, what happens after that. But, yeah, next week is the finale and we'll have to see how that goes. Was there any, any big any big news or anything big you wanted to say before we go? No, I don't think so. Biggest thing was just next week's promo, and it looks like things are getting crazy and Lydia's going to be in trouble, so that's not awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see, I suppose. Um, and until then, you can keep wondering or you can get in touch with us about what you thought, and we'll um, talk about it all next week. So until then... Bye-bye. Bye. song for you as a blooper. Um, okay. That works. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> if you would like. You can sing it if you want. Do you, you do no, mean the I... ting tings, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyway, let's... Um... I just... I kept singing it last night. I couldn't oh, help dear. it. <laughs> That's uh, unfortunate. They call me hell. They call me Stacy. They call-